0: Thank you for tuning in to CIO Speaks with host Steve Ginsberg. If you enjoy this episode, please check out the other episodes in this series and go to gigaohm.com to find more of Steve's research and insights. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Steve Ginsberg. My guest today is David Chow. David is a global CIO and an industry leader in the digital space. He's held executive roles in healthcare companies, hospitals, and beyond. In our discussion today, I'll ask David about what enterprises and vendors can learn from his experience in the healthcare and life science realms. Hi, David, thanks for joining us today. Thanks
1: for having me, excited to be here.
0: I wanted to ask you that having held both roles, how do you view the positions of CIO and Chief Digital Officer?
1: So I view the CIO I'll call it the 2.0 version. They really need to think about digital first. Whereas you're starting, you're starting to see a lot of organizations that have both a CIO and a Chief Digital Officer. Uh, I, I'm I'm seeing a lot of that use case, and that's because the CIO has traditionally been been viewed as a back office, keeping the lights on, making sure infrastructure is ready. While the Chief Digital Officers officer is really trying to build new business models utilizing the technology. So. Um, I would say most aspiring CIO that's forward thinking, they're trying to fill both roles and more so than ever trying to become that chief digital officer rather than the traditional brand of the chief information officer.
0: And how do you see the two uh, roles working together?
1: Working together, that's a very tough one because it's um, unless you have a CIO with the personality of their really want to focus on keeping lights on and okay with the infrastructure. I don't see the two aligning well in any organization. There's usually some sort of hierarchy where either the CIO reports to the chief digital officer or the chief digital officer reports to the CIO. But when you see it in an organization where there are peers or one is above the other and the hierarchy, it doesn't work out too well because there is too much overlap. For example, the chief digital officer needs the core foundational infrastructure that the CIO is, has traditionally been accountable for to, to be in a tip-top shape to really drive these initiatives. So some of those foundational elements, if they're not there, then the digital officer cannot drive and execute. So I would say it really depends on the structure, but if they're peers, it's a really hard structure for it to work out well from an organization perspective.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Any advice on, from what you've seen, on who is better to have on the top of of the food chain? Whether it's better for the CIO to report to the CDO or vice versa?
1: I would say, forget about the title. Let's just focus on the personality, and let's focus on that individual who is aspiring to lead digital initiatives, and that individual who has the aspiration to utilize their technology investments and make that a competitive advantage versus other organizations, I, I would say if you have that talent and you have that aspiration from a single leader, then designate them to lead the digital initiatives regardless in, in regards of the title. So if you don't have that, I think that's what happens when you see an you know, organization I go out there, try to recruit a chief digital officer, uh, thinking that one individual miraculously is going to transform the organization, where in reality, it does not happen that much because one individual is not going to be able to do much. And that one individual coming in, they're probably not going to have a big team either. And they have to build it up. So it's a really hard dynamic uh, when I see lots of CEOs out there trying to just pull in this one miraculous individual to, to sort of solve that digital challenge and drive the transformation. Yeah,
0: that sounds like great advice. What learnings from healthcare do you think organizations should consider for organizations that are not in the healthcare field?
1: I would say the fact that healthcare is a 24 by 7 business, we really learn and take some of those um, lessons learned from that vertical. Uh, We're really big into, obviously, we're dealing with people's lives, so we can't tolerate any mistakes, right? A mistake may actually have an impact on life or death. So taking some of those um, lessons learned, some of those initiatives, some of the approaches, I would say that may be, in order to learn from healthcare. Uh, it's also highly regulated, so lots of uh, requirements that may or may not be applicable to other, other industries. On the flip side, I want to say healthcare can learn a lot from other industries as well, uh, specifically in, in the, uh, the retail sector, how retail drives the brand stickiness, co- consumer engagement. That's really a big thing that's happening in healthcare. So I would say, vice versa, healthcare can also learn a lot from other verticals as well.
0: Sure. Is there something from the data technology specifically that you, in that area that you feel is most promising coming out of healthcare or going the other way?
1: Data technology, I would say they're pretty consistent um, vertical agnostic. You know, every organization, every vertical, they're trying to figure out how, how to become data-driven. They want to figure out how can they use data to make decisions better versus trusting their gut intuition. So I would say in regards to the vertical, everyone's trying to focus on how to do that, but I would say the retail side has um, done a better job in terms of understanding consumer behavior, and that's where healthcare, as the industry moved towards um, the the model of keeping patients out and promote wellness and drive a healthier lifestyle, you really have to understand the patient slash consumer a lot better, and that's where the healthcare vertical can learn so much from a retail perspective as far as understanding this whole person approach.
0: And do you see, it sounds like you are seeing healthcare companies starting to deploy that type of technology? There are, some, of there are a
1: lot of healthcare CRM, there are a lot of CRM technologies out there tailored towards healthcare. I would say most healthcare organizations are trying to figure out what is the right tool set to help them. Here's the challenge. Uh, most health systems and healthcare providers, hospitals, they have on average between 450 applications to 1,000 plus. So one of the things that really needs to be done is really uh, application uh, portfolio rationalization. They need to really look internally first, understand some of the overlaps, and then understand which one of their current tools can be that platform, or do they need to make another investment? That's a struggle that I have seen, even personally as a CIO for various healthcare institutions, is where we're managing so many different things you know, throwing another large enterprise platform on on top, while it makes sense, it, it's just kind of challenging. So I'm seeing lots of um, healthcare platforms out there to drive consumer engagement, to drive what we call population health, which is um, focusing on this whole person engagement and wellness. And that's where the future of healthcare is moving towards. And there are a lot of solutions for, uh, for the buyers to really, like and choose from.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that that organizational sprawl in terms of technology is something that a lot of CIOs face kind of across the board these days. And then I think organizational uh, challenges can be for the CIO's role some of the toughest pieces to actual changes in uh, how the organizations themselves are structured. I saw that at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, you consolidated large organizations into a single one I'm curious, what were the motivations for that, and then what were kind of the more interesting parts of the process?
1: Yeah, so that was a very unique organization where they allowed me to to consolidate the three verticals of healthcare, the health systems, the hospitals and the clinics, the research, which is a big component of the academic medical center, and the higher education, uh, so that I could lead technology over all three areas. I would say that's a, that was that is the right approach because when you look at other academic medical center systems. They usually have a CIO over each vertical, and what happens was at the at the top level at the vice chancellor that that they call it uh, or the chancellor layer, they allocate budgets uh, equally or sometimes to all three verticals. And you're always competing for dollars to do stuff, rather than trying to create the synergy amongst all three areas from a technology aspect. Or or some places they even have it where one area, whether it's higher education, they're the technical foundational component and they become a reseller of technology to the other verticals. So you see these um, different interesting models where the majority of times uh, as executive leadership team, they're just fighting for dollars just to do stuff. So the fact that they allow me to consolidate, it really took at least took that um, budget allocation uh, time that I would have to spend away and I, I could focus a lot more on delivery. So that, that was a great move. Uh, from from that standpoint in terms of organization governance and trying to maximize the investment so that it could scale out to the other verticals.
0: Sure, any uh, insight for the audience on uh, how to manage communications during such a big change?
1: Oh, uh, that is a tough one um, because in these organizations historically, uh, even now, most of the decisions are done by committees. So, you know, I would say the I and the chief information officer should really stand for influence because the majority of my time out there was trying to influence a decision. Even decisions that you thought would be very simple, I would have to gain executive buy-in and support from all the various verticals. So a lot of my time was out there really driving decisions and influencing behavior. So I would say the advice is understanding the very, uh, the the details of this political landscape and work your, Work their way to navigate and drive influence, and you know, overly overly communicate. I think that's that's what it comes down to. Even a simple decisions that you, you would think would be a slam dunk requires a lot of effort.
0: Yeah that that sounds that sounds like the challenge indeed. Um, among other things, you uh, focus on um, enjoyable workplace for employees. Uh, in your view, how does that work, and can it be consistently done with it uh, within an organization and between organizations?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, the key is to make sure you're driving initiatives or projects that gets folks excited. Here's the reality. People don't wake up and go to work um, and they feel as if if they, if they don't feel energized then they're not going to drive value. No one wakes up to do a, a bad job. right? Everyone wants to wake up in the morning and get to their profession and do a great job. So number one, yes, and Tyson was extremely exciting projects that's aligned with what their personal aspirations and personal interests are. Number two, you need to reward them. So I would say, you know, thinking, thinking about those two factors on the people side is, is very crucial to uh, employee engagement and making sure you have a workforce that's gelling. Um, I, most of the, the work on the executive leadership side is really how do you get people to work together, how do you get them to function as a team, How do you break down silos and most important, how do you make sure that they're spending a lot of um, fun times at their job? Because that's where they are the majority of their day is at work. So figuring out ways to make it um, sort of a fun event is crucial. And
0: in that, in your mind is that uh, in addition to the alignment of the work is also that enjoyable activities at work that are not specifically work focused or is it really just about getting the, the work and kind of doing it in a in a pleasant way?
1: Oh, definitely just do it in a pleasant way. Um, yes, you can set up a lot of different social activities outside of work just to uh, ensure that the teams get to know each other. But in a certain large enterprises, that's a, you know, you try your best effort to make that happen. Um, but if there's a, it's hard to scale. If you have a 30,000 employee workforce, how do you get anyone engaged outside of work? Uh, with the busy schedules, unless it's at a departmental function. So you can do that uh, from a department aspect outside, but it's really important. How do you create this great environment internally so that you get the entire enterprise on the same page? Sure. What uh, qualities
0: are most important in the people that you're seeking?
1: The ability to really learn, the willingness to learn, I would say that's the most important aspect. Because we are always reinventing ourselves in this industry. Technology is always changing. Healthcare is changing. Combine the two, the healthcare technology, it's, it's always evolving. And you have to be extremely flexible. You have to be willing to learn, take on new skills, because even I'll, I'll view the role of the CIO, the role today is going to be different three years from now. It'll be different five years and 10 years from now. So as a professional, you need to really seek that um, self-learning, and evolution standpoint. So that's what I look for in employees who have that drive, that willingness, and who could really think outside the box.
0: Your current work involves advising companies on how to maximize their technology investments while they're digitally transforming their operations. What are some of the most important pieces of that?
1: The most important piece of that is the reality is the executives that we work with within our network—they're so busy with the day-to-day that they don't have the time to understand what's reality in the market. They either get upsell or they get the wrong information or they hear a sales pitch and they really need validation. So that's where we come in is provide that validation uh, for our executive network, and we provide them with guidance as far as where they should be thinking about two or three years ahead. So that's the value for from the, our executive network, we also work with the vendor side, right? The vendor side, they have great solutions, but what they're missing is they don't understand the operational factor. Um, they don't know how, for example, in a hospital system, they don't, have the, they don't have the knowledge of hospital operations. What is the clinician's workflow? What happens in the supply chain typically when um, they're out of stock and how does that impact nurses? What is the workflow and day-to-day operations? And that's where we help the vendor side from an operational perspective. So I would say I get the luxury right now of working with both sides to create this ecosystem because I really wanna see the healthcare vertical make that transition and have some sort of true disruption because the industry has not changed much. I really wanna create an ecosystem where patients have access to care conveniently. And from a technology side, that's where it can really enable that. So I'm a big believer and passionate about the work that we're doing just because I'm able to see both sides of the world now from a vendor's perspective and also from a buyer's perspective.
0: And on the uh, companies themselves on the, the healthcare side, are you seeing a uh, movement to the public cloud or how are they viewing cloud kind of across SAS and also uh, also compute?
1: Yeah, the cloud is one everywhere. Personally, I've always been a believer in cloud first, but the reality is a lot of these healthcare enterprise applications are having challenges getting into a public cloud environment and then becomes a SaaS offering. The reason why they can't get into the public cloud environment easily because there are a lot of legacy enterprise systems that were not born cloud first. So that would require these companies to rewrite the entire code and really start from scratch. And that's a very hard ask for for businesses that have been um, profitable for the last 20, 30 years to go back and rewrite their code just to be adaptable to public cloud. So we're seeing the trend as new systems will come out, they're always going to be in a cloud-first model or SaaS offering. But unfortunately, the majority of the healthcare enterprise applications has been traditionally on-premise. But we are starting to see the shift towards a SaaS offering. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen in five years from now, whether everything is everything's going to either be SaaS or cloud model. Or hopefully, it never happens where everything reverses the other way because cloud's going to get very expensive. And most folks, they may get to the point to say, where they say, you know, this is a lot more expensive than hosting on premise, even though you get all the agility and the scale things. Uh, and then we see that transition back to on premise. So I hope that never happens, but I would not be surprised since it feels like I, we've, we've seen this wave of application going from mainframes to you know, hosted model, then back on premise, and now back to SaaS and the cloud. It's sort of this evolution back and forth.
0: Yeah, we we certainly see some examples of uh, of companies whose uh, AWS bills are similar are quite quite high, right? There are some surprises for companies that are sort of pl- not planning around managing costs uh, in the cloud. I'm wondering since you're describing the healthcare providers moving into uh, essentially a hybrid world, if you think that they're generally managing that transition well, moving into a hybrid cloud uh, with some on-premise and then then having some SaaS applications or some public cloud?
1: Yes, they're definitely managing, but it is really a challenge uh, to even migrate. the so migration, just think about an on-premise enterprise system. Now you're migrating to either a SaaS or a public cloud environment. That migration is not easy. And that migration can cause a lot of heartaches. And think about when you move towards a cloud multi-tenant environment, um, the 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 client and or the the organization they they're traditionally used to managing their own downtime. Something as simple as downtime. Now, because they're on a multi-tenant environment, the vendor provides the time for the uh, for them to schedule downtime. So, as a hospital, that's a very hard thing to adapt that then requires a lot of communication. So let's just say our enterprise, uh, our ERP system has a scheduled downtime twice a week, whereas traditionally the the hospital only had a downtime once a month to do maintenance and so forth. Now you have to tell the nurses, you know, every, twice a week at this time we're going to be down. So adjust your workflow. That downhill impact operationally is one area that most um, – organizations do not appreciate or understand unless they have gone through it. And that's also, from a vendor's perspective, that that's something they should also think about when they're scheduling uh, updates, things of that nature, where they where the view is routine, but it's really not as routine just because of the impact they may have. So I would say hospitals are transitioning to the hybrid cloud, but they're still learning, and they're still maturing their operating model.
0: Yeah, that's a great point to raise, both, as you say, both for uh, for customers and vendors about how they, how they think about maintenance and schedules and how on the customer side, they think about what's mission critical, uh, in that way. We do try to here at Gigom advise, uh, people to really think as they move to cloud cloud, what is the SLA they really need and are they getting that proper SLA? Uh, I'm wondering, as you look at all of this, what do you think is the most valuable thing uh, or things that CIOs and their staff should be working on in 2019?
1: 2019, what we're seeing is there's still a lot of catch up, unfortunately. I think people are focusing a lot on data. They're trying to get their data solutions in place, number one. Number two, um, most are still trying to get their infrastructure up to date. When I look at almost every healthcare provider organization and health systems, their infrastructure is not up to date. It just has never been a a big investment uh, for them where they've kept it going. But now, as security heightens, you got to have the proper uh, hardware infrastructure in place to have the right security protocols and, the, and, and to secure your environment. So because it has been so invested, now people try trying to take like catch up. Uh, so I'll say those are the two main themes uh, from a foundational aspect. And then of course people are trying to, in healthcare, trying to figure out how can they understand this whole person engagement. EFP is a hot area that's coming up as well in, in healthcare just because every hospital organization has been so focused on the clinical system the last eight plus years they neglected the back office so now the back office is due for um, an upgrade and they're looking at ways to cut costs and be more efficient that's a major trend as well so those are some of the major trends that we're seeing in healthcare for 2019.
0: that's really interesting and uh i guess given your comments earlier you're seeing a fair amount of cloud erp uh introduction not just uh on-premise erp
1: it's it's only cloud now I'm, you know most of them don't let you they don't offer you the, the the option to host it yourself um unless you're still on a legacy platform but if you're still moving towards the latest erp platform out there they're either a SaaS model or a or in the public cloud so you don't have an option anymore Sure, and then uh,
0: maybe one final on the security uh, point of view, what are you seeing as kind of the most interesting part of the trend there uh, in terms of what they need to catch up, uh, maybe what the biggest challenge is for healthcare providers or how they're uh, responding to these things?
1: Number one, the biggest challenge is most of the breaches happen due to human mistakes and human mistakes by internal employees. It's not because someone externally is hacking to the system. It's a lack of education and awareness or, let me put it a different way, the emphasis on um, education and awareness for uh, security. Security is an issue that everyone needs to be involved with and it should be high on everyone's radar. In the hospital world, there's a lot of focus on hand washing from a hygiene perspective. I would say security has to be just as urgent in terms of education as hand washing. And that way you're, you could keep the internal workforce, um, knowledgeable for making mistakes. And then I would say that's, that's a big focus and that should be the top focus. Number two is starting building a true IT security program. Historically, organizations have done their annual audits and what they have done is they get these audits and the gaps and they're just checking off the boxes to, to close out the audit and they think they're compliant they're not building a security program. So I would say that the two recommendations are educate your employees on security. Number two, build out this security program versus checking out boxes for audits. Yeah,
0: that seems like great advice for uh, healthcare companies and from what I know uh, and beyond, uh, I think a lot of enterprises are uh, in that place as well. Well, David, I really wanna thank you for joining me today and uh, sharing your perspective and your insights with our audience.
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Take care. Thanks, everybody. If you
0: enjoyed this episode of CIO Speaks, please check out the other episodes in this series. Optimizing network interconnection in the changing cloud landscape is the focus of a new report called Connecting Clouds that Steve wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how IT leaders and organizations are overcoming challenges in the evolving cloud era. Download the single report or subscribe to GigaOm Research for future-forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.